Stay tuned. East Side Radio, 89.7 FM. Good evening, folks. You are listening to Breaking Waves. I'm Riley. And I'm John. And welcome back to our second show about travel stories. That is exactly where we are. Uh, In fact, we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. For those of you who might not have heard, uh, John was telling us about the first time, I believe, that he went overseas, which was to Bali. It was a surfing adventure to Bali, yes. And I was talking last week about uh, the animals there and pet Mm. culture. Yeah. And the differences between... um, our relationship with pets and the Balinese people's relationship with pets mm. and what a shock it was to me to uh, land there and see because I'm a dog lover to see all of these um, sad looking creatures <laughs> running around everywhere they just look like they were totally feral but I, I learned um, when I went to live with a, a local Balinese guy that um, they um, their relationship is quite different and they don't uh, even treat animals the same way we do even their pets um, they had a pet dog at the, the house I stayed at the compound his name was Ma Chung and I tried to pat him a few times but like all of the, the dogs on the street he didn't seem to understand what that kind of affection was all about I didn't see anybody else pat him either but he knew what his role was within that family he was the protector, and it made me think of ancient stories of the relationship between humans and dogs, you know, around the fire, with the, you know, <laughs> doing the deal where they would protect us, you know, and warn us um, of intruders or danger, and we would, you know, they'd get something back from us, they'd get shelter and, and um, comfort and uh, food and community with us. And it was it was like that in this compound because he sort of sat out the front and guarded the place and, mm. and barked at strangers and um, was very cute as well, but a, a very different kind of setup to what we have here. Yeah, yeah. So these dogs have obviously found a way to survive. Uh, what are some of the ways that they sustain themselves? <laughs> well, firstly, there was a lot of garbage everywhere. That, um, one of the things I found about traveling to um, faraway places is that they don't, um, how um, incredibly regulated and standardized everything is here. Most streets don't smell bad here and don't have, um, the lights are all at the same height. <laughs> and, you know, um, zebra crossings are kind of have a standard. And um, in other places, it's not like that at all. Things are very um, ad hoc and uh, stinky and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, there's a lot of rubbish, and uh, I think one of the ways they survived was um, through uh, following their basic instincts of, of um, um, scavenging. Mm. But uh, something else I, I learned when I started living in the compound is there's a ritual, um, a daily ritual with the, the Hindus. They make offerings to their gods, and they place out little bowls of rice and food on their doorstep every morning. And if you walk down the streets in the morning, you see all these little bowls sitting next to the doors. Yeah. And the dogs, 
uh, that's like breakfast for them and they come and feast on these little bowls of, uh, and I'm sure other animals too. Um, I don't remember too many uh, rats, but I'm sure there are rats and birds that eat this stuff as well. And this is perfectly okay um, with the Balinese people because of their different um, relationship with uh, the natural world and with the animals that live around them. Um, that's definitely one of the ways that a lot of those dogs survived. The way that my mind thinks of that is that I go, well, the gods were acting through the dogs. Yes, and through the humans. Mm. Yeah, well, apparently things uh, have changed a lot. Now, this was in the 90s when I was over there. And, of course, governments change and so do uh, social mm. programs. And apparently the uh, dog situation... Uh, got better and um well I, the last time i was in bali was um about the, the end of 2019 it was uh december you know just over two years ago many dogs running around yeah and they were still doing the offerings and the yeah yeah the well, dogs were a big part of the culture and yeah they seem to really love them mm. absolutely um, apparently there's a bit of a rabies scare there a while ago too and they went around and cleaned up a lot of the dogs running around but um, Bali has changed incredibly since I was there and I was probably l very lucky to go back there um, when it was uh, in the early 90s before less touristy it was it was the uh, there was still tourism was still their major um, industry there when I was there but it was very underdeveloped all of those places I mentioned last week, Uluwatu, uh, Greenbowl, uh, Bingen, um, they're famous surf spots. But when I went there, they were just cliffs mm. that you had to climb down. And you had to yeah. get locals to actually take you there on the back of motorbikes. And, of course, they would um, extract money out of you to do this. And they <laughs> they also ran the... Um, uh, the area like little gangsters and right. if you went there with a car they would actually charge you for parking and, <laughs> and all kinds of things but it was just bare cliffs with these little um warongs these little uh, structures with um grass roofs and um you could buy you know coke there and have something to eat and look down into the mm, from the cliff tops at the the surf breaks and stuff but it was quite a quite a journey to get even to get down to the water you had to be guided down through on these you know, ledges, and um, I've seen photos of those same places in, in the last uh, five years, and they're all covered in condos and have pathways yeah. and, um, and streetlights. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and another thing I think is a bit sad is how um, there's in Bali now you can go to a Macca's or a KFC or a hard rock cafe, or a Starbucks or something. And this kind of speaks to one of the things we were saying last week about places use, losing their uniqueness when a corporate franchise takeover type thing is happening. Yeah, and I don't remember any of those places being in Kuda when I was there. Um, I remember lots of eating places, but they were all very indigenous mm. sort of with local foods. Yeah. And, and you can still get the local food, but there is that um, more, you know, that mainstream global uh, company thing 
infiltrating these days. Yeah. The other funny thing about <laughs> Bali that I noticed was that because they're Hindus, they name their children um, with the same names, like first son, second son, third sons. I think Made is first son, Wayan is second son, uh, Kutut is third son. I probably got that completely wrong. But uh, so there's a million Mardes and Wayans. <laughs> it's like all these places, Wayans restaurant. Uh, um, I thought that was quite funny. Yeah, no, when I you like meet that. people, you don't have to remember too many names. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I dig that. Um, the other most notable thing about my trip there that I remember was that um, I, I, I didn't really uh, plan it that well, but I was quite concerned about catching malaria. So I went to the doctor and had the recommended uh, shots before I went, and I, I was given a um, a drug to take, um, some pills. I can't remember what it was, but I got um, awfully sick <laughs> when I landed. I got this belly thing, and I thought, first of all, I thought I'd caught some kind of, you know, barley belly. Mm. Uh, and I was sick for about three days, and eventually I worked out that it was actually the anti-malaria pills I was taking it was making me really sick. Right, mis- absolutely miserable. Um, so I talked to stop taking them, and a day later I was better. And I I bought a um, uh, what do you call those things? A, a fly scr- an insect repellent. Yeah, a thing over my bed. Oh yeah, I used yeah. To the, sleep under this fly screen. Yeah. Thing. Um, yeah, and I covered myself in. Um, insect repellent because actually because it was a drought there weren't many um uh, mosquitoes around down in the lower area but up in Ubud up higher where they've got these crazy monkeys everywhere that steal your <laughs> steal mm. your handbag and yeah steal stuff from you um yeah it, it was more mozzies up there and um, um so what um overall did you kind of leave this trip with a sense of um I'd like to go back here someday. Did you feel like it was a place that you could um, approach some kind of home away from home? I'm sure I did at the time. I uh, I didn't. Uh, the the Made who I stayed mm. with, first son, who I stayed in his compound. I don't know what his uh, surname was, and um, he didn't have a phone. So I didn't keep in contact with him. And I did actually, I'm sure I wanted to go back. It, it just didn't happen. Um, I went to other places. <laughs> I went to, uh, something later on, I went to Thailand. I went to Bangkok and I went to uh, Chiang Mai more recently. And I went to Japan. So they're the main places I went to mm-hmm. uh, overseas. But you also went to Indonesia. Did you go to Bali? Yeah. Um, so... I didn't actually go to Bali the first um, time, so I don't think I went to Bali until later, until I was around 17. Uh, But when I was, yeah, so when I was in utero, my mother was in Indonesia, and... You would have been exposed to... The culture, yeah. Some alien vibrations, let's say. Maybe that's part of why I'm so weird. And that's it. That's what it is. Yeah. And then... Uh, so, the first place that I went to that was overseas after I was born... Um, so, I was four years old at the time. 
we went to Indonesia and we, you know, went to Solo and Java and it was just me and my mum and mum was catching up with a friend of hers who lived local and they actually organised for me to have this nanny who would spend time with me and take me out for ice cream. I can't remember. A local? Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. I can't remember this young lady's name now, but I was very, um, I became very like bonded to her and I liked her very much. And I remember, um, yeah, we were looking at some, some chickens. I remember this is like a very, quite an early distinct memory for me is these chickens just running around. Like they weren't penned up. They were just kind of hanging around in this backyard of this place where I was staying. I remember the chickens. They actually like chicken fights in Bali. Cause yeah, it's, yeah. It's one of the things all the men seem to do is go to these. I didn't go because I didn't want to see that. But no. That, I think it was a gambling thing. Mm, that's it. That's it, yeah. I remember there were chickens everywhere, yeah. And they loved their chickens. Um, when it came time for me to part ways with this lady, I became very angry and uh, frustrated because I, I liked her a lot. And You wanted to take her home. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. But we didn't end up going home. We actually went to straight to London and uh, we met up with my dad. And this kind of begins the adventure of my, uh, my European travels. So, should we get into that? Bali to London by plane. Do you remember the plane trip? The yeah, I loved the plane. So this was around the time of the 2000 Olympics. I actually really remember enjoying feeling closed in on the plane because, you know, it's not that spacious when you're flying. The yeah, it's like a cubby house. Yeah. And they have those little flaps in the seat in front that comes down. And I loved having that with all these snacks and everything put in front of me, like all this food. I remember just eating all this food and just being so happy and contented in that. Yeah, it's kind of nonstop entertainment, really. Yeah. There's people walking around and they're bringing in meals and they kind of like, they even have um, screens on the seats now, don't That's they? That's right, yeah. There used to be the movie. Uh, You'd all used to watch a movie, but... Yeah, they used to yeah. have a one or two movies and you used mm. to have a screen that used to come down. Mm. Um but, yeah. but I loved, uh, I, I was obsessed with flying actually when I was a little kid. I built, tried to build, nearly kill myself several times building flying machines. Um, and now I have a growing terror of, <laughs> of flying as I get older, mm, but loved it when I was a kid. Is it that lack of being in control? Kind I think of thing? that's part mm. of it. That's part of it. I think the naivety of, of youth is a truly wonderful and beautiful thing, um, not to be underestimated at <laughs> all. Um, so speaking of planes, should we have a song, uh, Big Jet Airliner by Steve Miliband? Let's do it.
That was one of my favourite songs from the 70s, Big Old Jet Outliner. Now, Riley, uh, when I went overseas the first time, I was in my early 30s, but you were a little kid, so your reaction to the people you met and, and the places that you went to would have been really uh, different. You would have, your judgments would have been quite different. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't have an awareness of how just how different things are you know, socially, economically, politically, I was going into all these things with just a blank slate, just no judgment. And uh, the, so the, yeah, the first place that we went to was London and I have family in England. And so there was a sense for me of a kinship with, with the area. My father was born in Tynmouth, which is a small coastal village in um in Devon which uh I believe the band Muse started from from that town just a little bit of trivia for you there but uh yeah no I loved going to the pet store and the shopping districts in London I loved going to Harrods and at this young age I cultivated a bit of a British accent <laughs> um, really in a couple of days yeah <laughs> and that's also common for like uh, autism type of people man we yeah. rub off on each other humans you, oh yeah you start acting and talking like people you hang around with so be careful mm, no I, I remember <laughs> my dad was worried because I was saying this is the best butter in London in this like <laughs> voice like that and he's thinking oh god I've got to get him out of here um, and so my nana, she came and met us in England, and we happened to run into her on a just like on public transport, just right after she got off the plane. And my dad and I were on the, our way to Legoland, and we were saying, "Oh, that's what we're doing. You probably want to go back to the hotel and rest." And she, my nana's like always up for adventure, and she's like, "No, let's go." And so she goes straight there with me, and then I think. Um, at a certain point we got, uh, separated from my father and we went off and ended up, uh, leaving Legoland and getting lost. And I recall, um, walking around with Nana and in Hampstead where we were staying and she's saying, is this your house? Is this your house? I'm just going, no, I don't know. And then eventually she got into this woman's place to use her phone. And I think this lady like called the police and she's like, there's this, you know, demented old woman and her grandson. I don't know if she said that, but then, yeah, the police came and, and picked us up and then uh, eventually drove us and reunited us with our dad. And I remember Nana, like, accidentally, like, activated the police siren at one point, which is, yeah, really fun. And and then uh, the cops were saying to my dad, they were like, oh, does your mother have dementia? And, you know, she didn't, but 
she would get a bit vague with um her uh her direct sense of direction at that point in her life because she used to apparently have a really good sense of direction when she was younger but from her sort of 70s onwards it wasn't it could get confusing for her things and do you remember noticing uh, big differences between uh, say the buildings or the the streets or yeah. besides the language obviously mm. um maybe the the fog was it raining a lot or it, actually it was really foggy so when we Did went the sky looks small you know because we've mm. got such a big sky here yeah. and, and i and i hear from english people that come here it's one of the things they comment on mm. is how huge the uh the expanse is the yeah expanse of the sky mm. yeah because they're always you know i really liked i remember really liking about devon was that they had this uh really fresh air and just the air itself just breathing that felt rejuvenating and uh so the next place that we went to after that was spain and i had a couple of uh so i'm traveling with my parents you know people had told my parents that you know spanish people a lot of the culture isn't that friendly to tourists and but apparently they local. <laughs> apparently they have a a love for kids because my parents got treated very well and got a lot of perks because they were traveling with a little kid. And so everywhere I would go I was handed sweets and lollies, which of course is so different to our culture of never take candy from a stranger. Uh, but so I was I was real spoiled wherever I went, you know. But uh, I had a couple of incidents in Spain. Oh, actually, I, and Spain was where I kind of became confused by um, why aren't they speaking English? Like that kind of started to throw me oh, off a bit. Really, there. you yeah, didn't yeah. notice the language thing straight away? I suppose you were staying in places where people spoke English. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, when we'd be going out and about. Oh, and I loved the siesta thing. That blew my mind, the fact that they have... Yeah, I think the, I'm part Spanish, man. <laughs> I love the siesta. Yeah, I love the atmosphere of that, and that was so cool. But So I had a couple of incidents happen. One of them was that I got my foot stuck in between some seats on one of those really fast trains, and they had, like, yeah, all these people trying to get me out and everything... And then eventually I just managed to get my foot out. So it must have just been one of those psychological things. And then later on, like the next day or something at the hotel, I was crawling along the wall at this hotel and there was a broken like um, light bulb in the pool. Like there was some broken glass and I like stepped on the glass and it cut into my foot and I had to go to hospital and... Um, my mother w was saying that they have a very good, um, like, ways of, like, dealing with kids in their kind of system. Because I remember they, like, when when I was in the hospital, they were supplying me with all this, like, entertainment and stuff when I was in there. Like, things to distract me. And they had this uh, glove that they were blowing up and doing, like, contorting, like, you know, balloon puppetry and these yeah. kind of things and everything. And I remember... Yeah. Probably as effective as morphine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they said, after I got the stitches in, they said that I'd need to 
have them taken out in a week, but we weren't going to be there in a week, so I ended up getting them taken out in a children's hospital in Paris, which is where we went next. And my dad, at this point in time, my dad was so fit, he would have been 34, and he was just carrying me around on his shoulders while also carrying around, like, our backpack, and he just went around all these cities with me on his shoulders. I, I remember that that mm, being it was really like fun. your camel. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember I liked the fact that people would be looking at me, like, "Oh, what a cute kid" or whatever. And I liked that kind of attention and stuff. And we, he took me all the way up to the top of the Eiffel Tower, so I remember that. Um, and yeah, so all in all, it was a terrifically fun time in Europe. And here we are, the end of the show. We hope you've enjoyed our uh, somewhat semi-random travel stories so far. And we've got more to come. That's right. Next week, John, you're going to tell us about some more of the travels that you've done. Yeah, traveling blind, uh, which you could take two ways. One, one way would be being completely unprepared, which is the way I do most things. But um, more relevant is the fact that I, I don't see very well. And so I embarked on a journey to prove to myself that you uh, could do it, that I could do anything I wanted to. And I got on a plane and, and went over to um, Thailand. So we're going to talk about that next week. Oh, yes, we will. Until then, have a great week. Adios. You're listening to People Powered Radio, proudly supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The Community Broadcasting Foundation resources community-owned and operated media stations just like this one that connect people and tell vital local stories so that we all enjoy a more vibrant, inclusive Australian culture and healthy democracy. Find out more about our work at cbf.com.au.